You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And on this episode, I'll be discussing some, be discussing some expectations for the 2019 Gators and the recent NFL draft for the Gators and to help those discussions along. I'm joined by Brian Fox and Michael Pfeffer from ChompTalk.com. Guys, welcome to Gators Breakdown. Hi, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. <clears throat> All right, Brian, so let's start with you and, and what you guys are doing over at ChompTalk.com. Uh, you're the founder and writer there as well. So uh, how'd you get started and what can readers expect to find on the site? Well, it really just started out as being being a, uh, a fan site, I enjoyed going out to all the games and uh, I, I like to write. So I just started as kind of a hobby and it's kind of grown from there. Um, over 4,000 followers on Facebook, uh, another thousand between Twitter and um, Instagram. And uh, now we've got credentials to most of the sports. So that's where we're at. <laughs> Hey, it's, uh, it's kind of the same way I started this podcast, grassroots. And uh, it's amazing. It's amazing what word of mouth can do out there for Gator Nation. Yeah, you're not wrong, man. All right. And, and Michael, you're a contributor at, at Chomp Talk. So uh, what is your background in terms of interest of Gator sports? Uh, man, I've grown up being a Gator my entire life. Uh, born and raised in uh, West Palm and lived in Gainesville for a while. Uh, I became contributor for Chomp Talk here. Kind of just by by chance, Brian happened upon uh, a post that I had written. He really liked what I had to say and the way I said it, and, and it's kind of been history from there. All right, so we'll have some good discussion with these two guys. But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. Plenty of coverage for the Jaguars draft and their second round pick in Juwan Taylor. Uh, but also you can catch the uh, Gators Breakdown podcast on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify. And when using those services, please share, rate, and review the show and on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, guys, let's talk some Gators football. And a question I've been asked a few times in the last week uh, on a couple of radio appearances, and it's the expectations of the 2019 Gators, and would fans be satisfied if the Gators took a step back? And, and you're kind of on the hills of, of spring football and coming off a, a pretty much unexpected 10-win season. There is wonder out there. 
how much the Gators can compete for a college football playoff spot, uh, beat Georgia, get to Atlanta, you know, compete and compete for the SEC East. You know, those expectations are out there. And after a 10-win season, fair or uh, unfair, the expectations have risen in the eyes of many fans out there. So, Brian, I'll start with you, and I'll ask you, are heightened expectations fair for 2019, and what are realistic expectations? Well, I think if you look at the playmakers just on the offensive side of the ball, not even getting to the defense, but just on the offensive side of the ball, the playmakers, especially at the skill positions, you look at that and you say there's no doubt that this team can be very potent offensively. Obviously, there's questions with the offensive line. Uh, there's some questions on the back end of the defense. But all in all, I mean, it's a team that – I mean, this is probably the best group of athletes that Florida has had over the last – probably 10 years since since Mullen left as an offensive coordinator. Michael, what you what you got uh, in there? Uh, so what, what are some uh, – are the expectations fair if, uh, if uh, we're heightening those expectations for what Mullen was able to do after year one? You know, I think that the expectations are absolutely fair. Um, you know, you mentioned that the 10-win season was a surprise, and I actually predicted that last year. Um, so I, I look at what Mullen has done in his past and what he's capable of getting out of perceived lesser talent. Uh, and we've got some absolute studs on the roster this year. Like Brian was saying, our offense at the skill position is probably the deepest it's been since we saw Tebow in the back, you know, backfield taking snaps. Um, so I think that the expectation is right. So uh, I guess the, the way the, the question was phrased to me a couple of times too, if the Gators say don't get, uh, I guess, the 10-win mark, you know, whether it be regular season or, or, or kind of do they get that 10th win in the postseason, if they don't get 10 wins, would it be considered a disappointment? I don't know that I would call it a disappointment. I, I think that if you look at the uh, the offensive line right now, that's a big question mark, but – I honestly looking at the the strength of schedule and the weapons that we have i think 10 wins is probably likely oh, i i just think that the uh the <clears throat> fan base would be disappointed with 10 wins this year i think a lot of the guys that left last year guys like chauncey kind of set the tone talking about we're going back to atlanta this year um and so i think a lot of the fans are picking up on that um, whether or not it's fair, you know, it's probably not. I think if, if you had told me that Mullen's going to win eight games year one and then 10 games year two, and then we're going to build from there, I would have been perfectly satisfied with that. But I don't know that a lot of the fan base is the same way in that regard right now. Yeah, it's kind of a weird dynamic. And, and you know, whether, you know, I, I was between that eight win, nine win regular season for, for Florida. You know, they got the nine and got the 10 in the, in the bowl game. Uh, there so but uh, it was some of the same questions that we had last year just one year ago are some of the same questions we had this year is Felipe France going to take uh, a step well now it's can he take a step but it's the step to become you know one of the top tier SEC quarterbacks same question with the offensive line last year it was full of guys who had a lot of experience but never really put it all together now it's guys who don't have a lot of experience and we're wondering if they can put it together uh just because of uh just lack of lack of playing time and so it, it's kind of funny a year from now we're asking the same questions but in a different light yeah um i think with the development of felipe franks uh the skill positions that we've got 
Franks is able to get the ball out quickly. Uh, we saw that in the spring game. Now, granted, that's not a, an accurate gauge because the defense was obviously pulling back. Uh, but I think that his ability to read and, and be more comfortable in the offense is actually going to help with the progression of the offensive line, that along with John Hevesy doing what John Hevesy does. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's part of part of where that I'll extend on that is the obvious, I think, year two improvement. Uh, you, are, you hear the saying, and it's probably overused, the, most, the biggest improvement you can make is year one to year two. But here we go. So, you know, for, for Mullen, you know, the players adjusted and know what to expect. Uh, and I think the same goes for the staff. So you, you expect the jump there just because of familiarity, uh, especially at the quarterback position, you know, now turn that around. And this offensive line doesn't have the same experience, like I mentioned, at least on-field experience, but they do have it in this system. So this is their second year in the system, just lacking that on-field experience and how fast can it all come together for them that's where i think the expectations have been tempered a bit by part of the fan base is because the offensive line is such an unknown while i think felipe franks will improve just how much is dependent on the offensive line now he can absolutely you know he can also help you know by getting them the ball out on time like you said michael and and, and his running ability but there also has to be a belief that mullen will also help the group by playing to their strengths his play calling to help master issues well, I, I would assume that you're going to see a lot of, you know, first read options, and that's what they're going to go with. There's going to be a lot of single reads, and I think they're, especially for the Miami game, the first game of the year, big game, they're going to get a, the ball out of Felipe's hands as quick as possible. If Felipe is going to succeed, it's going to be with a set of skilled players that they have right now. Yeah, we're going to see something very similar in the early goings, like what we saw against Mississippi State last year. Uh, just very quick getting the ball out to kind of negate the pass rush, uh, to give a little bit of relief to those young guys while they're still kind of getting their feet underneath them. Yeah, because I've kind of stood by that part too. And in Miami, for as bad as they were last year, they still had a pretty good darn defense. They're bringing a lot of those guys back. They lose Lou Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Willis, but they bring back that linebacker core. Uh, that you know, two guys from here in Jacksonville, <laughs> who 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 Gator fans know pretty well. They're going to still bring an athlete up front, and Manny Diaz is not going to have to change that defense. They know what to expect. Not, there's not going to be a whole lot of retooling, at least on that side of the ball. Uh, but with the way the Gators ended last year, there's a lot of confidence, and uh, and, and him knowing Manny Diaz himself, uh, you know, uh, I, I think or plenty of pre reasons that, uh, yeah, we may see a, a similar game plan to Mississippi State, but also just probably, you know, some wrinkles because of familiarity uh, with Manny Diaz as well. But look, guys, I, I think there's plenty of reasons you see the talk for Florida as a college football playoff and SEC contender. And you guys kind of have alluded to that too, as well. Many believe in Mullen as a coach and developer, uh, but like the skill players you guys brought up, and, and one in the deepest it has ever been. You have running backs like P. Ryan, Davis, um, Pierce, your top three there. A lot of people feel comfortable with those guys. And receiver is, you know, you can go long. Jefferson, Grimes, Tony. Can they get him the ball more in his playmaker role? Can they hit Cleveland down the field? When, you know, if he's in, we didn't get to see him against FSU and Michigan. Even though those games were blowouts and they were putting blowouts and points on the board, Cleveland was barely involved in all that, getting hurt versus FSU. So we know how deep they are at receiver and the pass rush led by Zuniga and Grenard uh, and that duo. Christopher Henderson and Marco Wilson is close to one of the nation's best tandems at cornerback. So most acknowledge all these positives. And if you pair that with 
Can Felipe Franks be more consistent and take the next step? Can this offensive line grow together quickly? You know, there's plenty of good reason and you know for the expectations to be high. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, this, I mean, this is kind of a put up or, or shut up kind of year right now with with all the playmakers. Obviously, you've got to get past the the offensive line and the potential woes that you could have there. But yeah, this is absolutely. There's this is the season that we think that you know it's kind of all set up for the success of the team. You know, a tough schedule, but it's not as tough as some of the schedules we've had in the past. Um, and so I think just looking at that, you know, it just it looks like it's set up for a potential Florida trip to possibly Atlanta. <laughs> Michael, do you think it all comes down to when Florida and Georgia meet in the first week in November in Jacksonville? You know, I absolutely think that that that's kind of the game that's circled on the schedule right now. Um, you know, Dan Mullen is taking some shots, kind of a la Steve Spurrier, uh, towards uh, Georgia this year, and I think that he's frustrated with the way we've performed against them in years past. And, and Kirby. I think he's got a lot to prove this year too. So both of these uh, teams are going to be ready to go when they face each other. Let's go back to to year one <laughs> and kind of why the expectations are where they are. And, and Michael, you kind of alluded to that you you had the Gators at, at ten wins there. But Brian, were you surprised with how successful Dan Mullen was able to turn around in year one? Absolutely, especially after the Missouri loss. You almost you it's almost like you were waiting for the wheels to fall off the bus. Um, fortunately that didn't happen. Um, here we are. Um, just, I think what has kind of set up the expectations moving forward is the fact that Felipe started playing with a confidence that we had not seen in his two previous years here. Um, he started looking under control in the pocket. Um, he started making the right reads. He started, you know, he started just being more accurate. And I think that was a huge difference moving forward. That's something that we're looking for and something we expect, especially with these guys that we expect to get open downfield. And I think that plays largely into the expectations. But, yeah, coming into last year, I would have been happy with eight wins. I thought eight wins would have been a good good start to the Mullen campaign, and then we'll run from there. But, yeah, the, the, the way that they ended the season last year has changed the expectations moving forward. Michael, was it a belief in Dan Mullen that you of why you had 10, 10 wins, or was it a combination? Was there more talent on the roster than what we were led to believe under Jim McElwain? Yeah, I definitely think that we had a lot more talent on the roster than than what we saw. Uh, McElwain's playbook was unnecessary, uh, unnecessarily <laughs> complicated, uh, and it just didn't produce. You, you could you could have left it with unnecessary. I didn't have it was that, absolutely but. unnecessary. Um, <laughs> A lot of the McElwain era was unnecessary, but uh, that and and yes, absolutely. My my understanding of what Matt, uh, what Mullen has done throughout his career, the way he's worked with quarterbacks, all the way from Alex Smith uh, up through Dak Prescott, I knew that he was going to be able to get something out of Felipe Franks that we had not seen yet, and the rest of the talent would be able to fall in line. So, guys, uh, your you know your first time on here, uh, a Gators breakdown. You know, we're months away uh, from the season, but we are talking expectations here. So, look, I know we're a couple months away. Preseason magazines will roll out. We'll get plenty of previews uh, uh, 
you know, coming along uh, when summertime rolls around. But, you know, an, initial thoughts on, on this season, how it plays out with, with, the, with the schedule. And it's, you know, like I said, we're, we're talking expectations here. So you don't have to dive deep into, you know, why, why you're picking however many or, or whatever the expectation you want to you want you want to set here for the team. Uh, but is it is it Atlanta or a bus for the Gators? I think absolutely it's Atlanta for for the Gators. And I honestly, I think the playoff isn't out of the question. Now, I'm going to preface that by saying once fall comes around, I, I may change my mind, see the team a little bit more. But uh, uh, with what we've got coming back, I think that, that those things are not out of the question as long as that momentum continues to carry forward what we saw the final uh, four games of, of last season. Brian, before you jump in here, yeah, I, I will say yeah, expectations <clears throat> do change as things play out. Because, like I said, I had the Gators going eight wins, nine wins at the most last year. But then as we were going week by week and as we were picking the games week by week, I couldn't pick Florida to lose. Because, and, you know, it, it turned out to be right. You know, it turned out to be wrong versus Kentucky. But it turned out to be right versus Mississippi State, LSU. And I probably got too caught up in the moment, but with the way Georgia was coming off that LSU game, and kind of, and I, yeah, I was thinking Muller was going to try and make a statement. I probably got it too ahead of myself, and I picked Florida uh, to win that. Uh, of course, getting the next week too after the clobbering of Missouri. But then, like I said, it all came together. But it is funny when you get into it and the season plays out. Also, how expectations change. But before we get to into the season, Brian, what's your expectations for the Gators going into this year? I mean, you're absolutely right about the expectations changing as, you know, game by game. I mean, sometimes it's play by play. <laughs> um, after Kentucky, I was like, well, hey, we might end up with six wins this year. <laughs> um, you know, fortunately, things got righted after that. It kind of humbled the team, it seemed like, and then they went on a little bit of a roll thereafter. Um, but looking forward to this year's team, there's three buys on that schedule. That's huge. That's yeah. a big, big deal. And it's, it's well spread out across the schedule that, I mean, at any time when a guy's getting hurt, there's that extra week of rest pretty much. And then on top of that, you've got a Tennessee Martin team coming in. That's going to pose no threat. You've got Towson coming in again, no threat. It's almost like you have five bye weeks on this schedule. And so, yeah, there's difficult games. There's games. Tennessee is not going to be the slouch they were last year. Auburn's going to be a good game. Um, you know, there's a lot of good games here, but with all those bye weeks, with with playing the lesser competition and getting experience for some of the younger guys, there's no reason this team couldn't go 11 and one. You know, maybe 12 and 0. I, you know, <laughs> um, but it, the expectations are real, and and that's a, a result of what Dan Mullen has done thus far. And and I think moving forward, it's only going to become even more so. Um, as far as the height of the expectations. Yeah, that's the crazy thing about the expectations for Gator fans right now and bringing it up because we're looking at it in year two, and it's kind of on the surface. If you think about it, oh, there's no way in two years this can turn out to be where Florida is a national championship contender after what they had just come off of, especially the last decade. So inconsistent, so up and down. But here we are in every major publication – Preseason magazines, as I said, are going to be rolling out soon. Florida's going to be a top 10 team in probably 90% of things that are out there. CBS just, CBS Sports just released a poll today. Florida's at number seven. So on the surface, it may sound crazy where we can say Florida will go with one loss or Florida will go undefeated. But when you're a top 10 team, and we're talking expectations, that is part of the expectation. You're a top 10 team. You're expected to compete for a college football playoff spot. 
Guys, you ready to uh, talk some NFL draft? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And in a bit of a surprise, no Gators selected in the first round of the NFL draft. And it was assumed that if the Jacksonville Jaguars selected offensive lineman Jawan Taylor, that it would be in the first round. But Taylor was selected in the second round by the Jacksonville Jaguars with a 35th overall pick. Uh, and the Jaguars have now drafted 11 Gators uh, since the franchise came into existence there. Taven Bryan last year in round one and Taylor in round two this year. The best being Fred Taylor by far in 1998. And also uh, there, so also on day two, defensive engine Kyle Polite was taken by the New York Jets in the third round, number 68th overall pick. Once also thought to be a first rounder. He saw his draft stock plummet uh, after interviews and workouts there. So Polite is the 24th Florida defensive lineman selected in the NFL draft over the past 20 years. Florida is tied with Alabama for the most, and the Gators rank ahead of LSU with 23, Clemson with 22, Florida State with 21, Ohio State 20, Miami 18, and Tennessee 17. So in addition to that, Florida has had a defensive lineman selected in every draft this decade, and Polite is the 12th pick during that span. That ranks third in the nation and trails Alabama and Clemson. So guys, I'll first will ask you, were you surprised Taylor fell to round two as much as I was I know it came out that he had a knee issue uh, that crept up through draft workouts, but there, you know, were a couple players drafted in round one with injury issues as well. So I can see why Taylor dropped, but still surprised at the drop. Well, I mean, you saw as as late as Thursday morning, there were projections that Taylor was going to go number seven to Jacksonville. Um, I mean, for Jacksonville to be able to get Juwan Taylor in the second round, uh, that that just seems like an incredible haul. It seems like a huge deal for them. Um, was it a surprise? Absolutely. Once the report started coming out about his knee, you knew he was going to fall a little bit. I did not think it was going to fall all the way to the second round, um, but Jacksonville made the move up to go get him, and uh, I think it's going to pay off in spades. That front line for Jacksonville now is looking pretty pretty intimidating there. Yeah, I think that uh, I was absolutely surprised he fell as far as he did because uh, – he was projected to go so high and, and so early in the, in the first round. Um, but, you know, every one of the guys that was picked up, I think the team's got incredible value where they were selected. And the thing was, you know, polite you did end up getting in the third round, but look, guys, I mean, <clears throat> you follow just as much as I do at one time coming off the season, especially the way he ended the season. It was the first, he was mocked in the first rounds and here comes the, the combine. And all of a sudden we start hearing some awkward interviews and some not so good workouts. Um, would you consider him a steal? And because look, going into this season, we, you know, we talked about Mullen exceeding expectations in year one, which well, Jacob Polite was kind of the prime example of, of the turnaround that this team had a guy who necessarily, had all the tools, had the motor, but necessarily wasn't consistent. And then he did have that lull in the, in the middle of the year where, you know, against Georgia, against Missouri, he was kind of non-existent. But all in all, you saw the force that he was on the field. And uh, I tell you what, for in the in the right system, in the right package, he's going to be he's gonna be a, a monster on third down, even in the league. Yeah. You know, some, some guys, you just have a motor that, it kicks into high gear when you're actually in a game situation. Uh, you know, not everybody interviews well, not everybody uh, practices as hard as they're going to play. And I think that you see some of that with Ja'Kai Polite, but uh, I do feel like he, he is a value, high value target uh, to have gone so late. 
well, with, with some of the guys that were picked in front of him. And then, you know, to see where he was slotted and everything else and how he fell all the way down to pick 68. Yeah, he's going to be a steal for the Jets. I mean, that defense is going to be intimidating. They've got a, a great uh, defensive backcourt, which is going to give them give him time to go get at the quarterback. Um, I think one thing that we found out in this draft is that NFL execs, executives are not they're not impressed with one year of good tape, especially when there's multiple years of not so good tape. I think that's why we saw Chauncey fall as far as he did. Um, but yeah, that's just, I, I think what, what we're seeing is that look one year. Great. You did good. We're going to, you're going to get drafted, but Hey, maybe going back for that second year and putting out more good tape would have benefited several of these guys that ended up leaving. Yeah, three former Gators were taken on the third and final day of the NFL draft, starting with uh, defensive back Johnson Gardner-Johnson, as you just alluded to there. Going in the fourth round, and linebacker Vashawn Joseph and running back Jordan Scarlett going in the fifth round. It was the Saints that picked up Gardner-Johnson with the 105th pick of the draft. He became the eighth Florida defensive back selected in the NFL draft since 2016. I mean, here's the names. Duke Dawson, Marcel Harris, Marcus May, Quincy Wilson, T. Tabor, Vernon Hargraves, Keanu Neal. Guys, it's hard to believe most of those guys played together. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and that the team went four and eight. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, Florida's eight defensive backs selected in the NFL draft since 2016. It's tied with Miami for the tops in the country. Alabama has seven, Ohio State seven, LSU six. Hey, guys, DBU. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it, it was interesting with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson because when he was picked and I'm watching the coverage, they they did point out what you saw in 2017. Yes, they admitted that he was playing with a little bit of an injury. He was playing out of position. Marcel Harris goes down in the preseason. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is kind of slotted into a role that's not really his forte. And you could see it. He struggled tackling all season. Bounced back. I mean, uh, it, it was one of the players that I picked for a bounce-back season last year getting in Todd Grantham's system getting in that star role where he could use his playmaking ability uh I did a whole lot of pre pre-draft work for the TV station I worked for and you know I, I, the Jaguars needed a safety so I kind of was looking at Chauncey Gardner Johnson but the more research I was doing I mean the, the Cowboys for one was was one team that really seemed to like Gardner Johnson uh but it, it was you saw it early uh in round four it was the Saints who came up and got him Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> Gardner Johnson did a great job with bouncing back this year, like you said. Um, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't go earlier than he did because he was the highest graded in the slot. Uh, he he just absolutely locked down his side of the field consistently this year. Um, and I, I had heard some rumblings that you know a lot of teams were, were kind of balking on him because of his height. Uh, he's slightly undersized, but – uh, we've had a lot of guys that are his size and even a little bit smaller that have gone on to have great careers. So as we mentioned, uh, Vashawn Joseph, Jordan Scarlett, uh, selected by the Buffalo Bills and Carolina Panthers with the 147th and 154th pick. Uh, Joseph became the sixth Florida linebacker selected in the last seven years, and Scarlett is the fifth running back pick in the draft since 2000. And the first is Kelvin Taylor uh, is since the uh, 2016 draft. Uh, so with the Saints there drafting Gardner-Johnson, ten. That's, uh, the Saints have drafted 10 Gators overall. Um most recently, Alex Anzalone, who's a force uh, in in, this, uh, in New Orleans right now. 
Deshaun Joseph is the first Florida player picked by the Buffalo Bills since defensive end Scott Hutchinson was selected in the second round of the 1978 draft. And Scarlett was the first player ever selected by the Panthers. So guys with the Carolina Panthers selecting Jordan Scarlett, that means every NFL team has drafted a Florida Gator. Yeah, it was a bit surprising to me that it went that long because I think it was the Houston Texas uh, Texans back in 2002 where uh, at that point when they drafted uh, Jabbar Gaffney, uh, they took themselves off that list. But Panthers, that, that's 17 years between <laughs> then and now w- without taking a single Gator player. Yeah, we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't count Cam Newton. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, and also, didn't uh, Will Greer got picked up by Carolina too, right? So uh, two former Gator <laughs> quarterbacks together there. again. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, yeah, two former Gator quarterbacks there that the uh, Panthers found themselves uh, get getting in the running for. Um, let's see. So guys, this Florida in recent draft history. I mean, it's it's kind of remarkable with the up and down that has been. I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. It would just uh, multiple players selected in the first three rounds for the fifth straight year. That's the longest streak since the streak of eight years from 97 to 2004. Uh, at least one Florida player has been selected in every NFL draft since 1952. That's the longest in the SEC. Uh, guys, you know, just, just given just how much Florida has struggled on the field in the last decade, getting guys to the NFL has not really been a problem for Florida. Florida's struggles have largely been offensively. Um, what defensively we're getting guys drafted or five, six, seven a year. Um, but what we haven't seen is we haven't seen with the exception of Jordan Scarlett and the occasional offensive tackle, there haven't been many offensive guys taken now beginning next year. A lot of that I think is going to start to change. We're going to start to see a lot of these offensive guys hey, next year. I think there's a good four five, six guys just on the, you know, just the playmakers that could be looking at, getting drafted and probably within the first three to four rounds. Yeah. I mean, you go through that list of, of wide receivers that we listed. I would imagine Ben Jefferson is going to be out. Javon Grimes is going to be out. Swain and Hammond are going to be on their, their way out. Tyree Cleveland more than likely. So you're looking at five receivers there who will probably be making right. their, their way to the NFL. P Ryan, who could have came out this past year, he always go, he's going to be on there. So you're looking at, Six offensive players right there. Felipe Franks, I'm, I, I'm going to imagine he's going to be out there too. So you're looking at seven of your, you know, players of your offense. You know, not all starting, of course, because you're not starting that many receivers. But you're looking at seven key contributors just on offensive alone that we're going to be talking about next year's, uh, next year's NFL draft. And it's kind of crazy because that's a testament of in a way, to Jim McElwain because he did bring a lot of those guys in. Uh, but the, we do see the limitations of, uh, of this draft now uh, where you had five-star C.C. Jefferson and Martez Ivy. They were the only five stars on the roster last year, and they didn't get drafted. They're getting picked up as you know free agents who have to go try out for their teams. Yeah, who would have guessed that four or five years ago, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean – They'll, you know, they'll get their chance. I think both uh, end up at Seattle, 
uh, right now. Uh, Tyler Jordan in Atlanta, Kerry Clark uh, for the Jaguars. You know, I was mildly surprised with CC Jefferson and Ivy. You know, them being the, the the guys who had the reputation of and then not being selected in the NFL draft. You know, CC size really hurts him. It was never really a terror off the edge that we expected. And Ivy put together a good senior season, but never really lived up to that five star status. You know, and, and Michael, I don't I don't want to call him a bust. He he was far from a bust. He played every single season. He was a Florida Gator. But, you know, so I'm not going to put a bus label on him, but he was just not that dominant offensive line that we thought we would see. No, uh, you know, I, I think that goes back to uh, the lack of a strength and conditioning program under Jim McElwain. I mean, uh, we, we had guys just getting manhandled off the line consistently. Uh, now that Nick Savage has come in and implemented his program and John Hevesy is teaching the right fundamentals, you saw tremendous growth there with not just Ivy, but the entire offensive line over the course of last season. Uh, so, you know, strength and fundamentals, that, that's what changed it for him. Yeah, I would even suggest that it, of all the six guys that are undrafted free agents <clears throat> or on those tryout contracts, I would suggest that every one of them wish they could come back to have another offseason with Nick Savage. Yeah, I think CeCe Jefferson has pretty much even said <laughs> to the point where he wished he could come back. He wished he had another year. Uh, you know, and not only because of uh, a guy like Nick Savage and all that, but you know, look how much fun he had. I mean, he could – there was talks of him maybe leaving early last year. It would have been a bad decision, uh, of course. But he, he he came back for his senior season. Martez Ivy came back for the senior season. And they go they go out getting 10 wins. They go out – after a four-win season and, and able to leave a, a stamp on their Gator careers, uh, being able to, to turn it around. And, guys, one more aspect of the draft I, I want to get into. And, hey, look, it, it, kind of a surprise, but maybe it shouldn't have been when you kind of sit there and think about it, is the amount of players Dan Mullen recruited to Mississippi State that ended up getting drafted in, in this class. Now, you know, when, when Go back and when we're previewing the Mississippi State game last season and how much talent was on that roster and, and you five of their players ended up getting selected. Uh, three in the first round with Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Abram. Uh, in round two, you had center Elton Jenkins and then uh, Jerry Green in round six. Four out of the five were defensive players and, and Mississippi State's five overall picks were second most in modern draft history for them tying the 2015 squad their had their school record was six and 95 but i mean that, that's that's a testament i know rivals don't want to give a whole lot of credit for dan you know to dan mullen for what for 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 the players that got drafted from mississippi state but you know this isn't just this isn't just cherry picking dan mullen deserves a whole lot of credit here oh absolutely uh, one thing that's exciting as a gator fan is what he did defensively those defense guys that are going because that's not his forte that's you know that that's Todd Grantham's scheme and everything else but if if we we see the the talent amongst the offense if they can get that with the defense and you start to see four five six guys on the defense also getting drafted my god look out for this team <laughs> the the future is going to be very bright here in Gainesville yeah Mullen you know he had his stamp on uh Nine, ten guys uh, that were drafted this year, uh, where his program and, and his tutelage directly impacted these guys. And I don't want to take away from Joe Moorhead because, you know, the guys there, they they spent a year under him. But, uh, you know, Mullen deserves a lot more credit for the state of Mississippi State 
right now than I think what he's actually been getting given. Yeah, and I went and looked at you know some Mississippi State and what they were saying and some of the stats they compiled here, and a lot of it does speak to that. You know, uh, their four defensive selections in this draft were the most defensive picks in school history. Previous was three in 2015, 2001, 2000, 1993. Set school record for most players selected in the first round with three, and the most picks in the first two rounds with four. Tied a school record for most picks through the first six rounds with five. Uh, Mississippi State, they tied for the national lead in most first-round picks with three, with Alabama and Clemson. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, and they joined Clemson as the only two programs to produce three or more picks through pick 44. Uh, and it was the most defensive lineman, again, chosen in, in Mississippi State history. Uh, hey, and here's a feather in John Hevesy's cap here, too. Elton Jenkins, this is the third straight year that a Bulldog offensive lineman was selected in the NFL draft. So a total of 18 Bulldogs have been selected in the draft since 2015. That's the most in a five-year span in school history. Dan Mullen's only been going one year, folks. So this is uh, – this you know, that, that, that five-year window there – Speaks a whole lot. Uh, so it was 18 Bulldogs been selected in the draft since 2015, most in the five-year span in school history. The previous was 17 from 95 to 99. Uh, and the first time since 2000-2001 that Mississippi State produced four more draft picks in consecutive drafts. So that goes back to Dan Mullen and this past season. And look, if you go back a year ago, and one reason you can give Dan Mullen credit you look at mock drafts this time of year ago after last year's draft, you saw Jeffrey Simmons, you saw Montez Sweat as first-round picks. Dan Mullen hadn't coached a game at Florida. Jordan Moorhead hadn't coached a game at Mississippi State. That, so, you know, you can sit here and say, look, I, I'll admit, Moorhead does deserve some credit too, but don't sit here and shun away what, Miss, what, what Mullen was able to do and bring in and develop at Mississippi State. Rivals don't want to give him credit here, but it, it's a really a testament to Mullen and his development. Simmons and Sweat, I mean, what going back and, and watching their taping, preparing for Florida Mississippi State last year, uh, you saw it in the game plan, as we mentioned earlier. Those guys had to be accounted for. Abram was a starter in his one season with Mullen's staff. Jenkins, uh, he was he was a the offensive lineman. He was a three-star recruit developed by John Hevesy. I mean, you have to give Mullen credit for getting these guys on his roster, and it's just an extension if you look at the recent history, uh, recent draft history for Mississippi State. Yeah, I think that's one of the strengths that Mullen has as a recruiter. Uh, you know, he gets a little bit of flack from the fan base about recruiting. You know, they're still not 100% sold. But I'm not sure there's anyone in the business that has a better eye for that uh, raw talent. You know, something that he can take that maybe is overlooked by everybody else, and he's able to just a absolutely squeeze the most potential out of that. Well, largely, a lot of these guys were two and three stars. They weren't landing the four and five stars that we expect to get here at Florida. And so the fact that all these guys are getting getting drafted into the NFL, 18 guys since 2015 is a pretty incredible number when you're talking about two and three star guys. It, it's a tribute to the development that has taken place under Dan Mullen and his his staff. Guys, what, what you, just in broad terms, we don't have to get too specific here before we wrap up this episode. You brought up recruiting. Um, do you see it as an issue in the in the grand scheme of things for Mullen, or you know, uh, is it are, are, are top seven, top ten classes good enough for Mullen to compete for the East and, and, and make it to Atlanta and compete for college football playoff spots? Uh, you know, I would. As a fan, you want to see those top three, yeah, uh, classes coming in. Uh, Knowing what Mullen's capability is with these guys, 
I think he can get as much production out of a top 10, top seven class as I'm going to throw shade at Kirby as Kirby smart can out of a number one, number two, number three class. So uh, I'm not ready to uh, sound any alarms yet with his recruiting, but uh, I, I understand why some of the fans want to see higher ranked classes. Well, last year, even into July, we were worried about being what 30th ranked and everybody was, Oh my goodness, what's going on? The building's on fire. We got to get rid of this guy already. Um, yeah, it's too early to panic. I do think eventually we have to start getting the guys out of the state of Florida. We have to convince them to stay local and, and keep Absolutely. them from going to uh, Georgia and to Clemson and to even Alabama, maybe to a little bit lesser degree. But you have to start getting these guys. Demarcus Bowman's a great example. If you're a Gator, you cannot let that guy go to Clemson. This, this, is, this is what last year's pulling those kids from uh, Lakeland did that. This is what, this was the five star, the home run pick. This is the local guy. We have to be able to pull guys like that. And so, no, I don't think it's time to sound the alarm and, and panic about, I don't have any issue with a top seven class, but if you want to be on the same playing field as Georgia every year, and you're going to have to in the East until Kirby's gone for whatever reason, that's, that's the competition. And you want to finish higher than them. And, I think more or less just try to keep them out of the state of Florida and get those local guys to stay here. Yeah. It's all about making it easier on yourself and, and, and you, and you know, bringing in better talent does that. And that's not to say Mullen with a top seven, top 10 class can't get it done. When you compare it to a top two or three class that Alabama and Georgia's going to bring in year after year, you know, that's, that, that's got, that's the standard. That's the, what you're going to have to go against. Uh, and here's the thing. When you look at, the development, yes, development is great and great what he did at Mississippi State, but that's the perfect example of the limitations of what talent does. And uh, as good as the coach as Dan Mullen is, there was a there was a ceiling hit at Mississippi State, and it was never going to get crossed. There was a threshold there at Florida. He's got his top ten classes, so I'm I'm eager to see that translation from. I've got a higher ceiling. My floor isn't – the floor is higher too, uh, I think. So that's why the expect, – going back to expectations, that's why when you see these you know, these top ten classes, the expectation for what Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State with these draft picks and what he can do and what he can get at Florida, that's why the expectations are getting raised. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you speak to the, the classes he pulled at, at Mississippi State, and that was kind of an argument I had – uh, with a lot of fans when Mullen was hired, you know, there were some fans who were let down by that, that hire. Um, and, you know, I'm saying, thank God we didn't end up with Chip Kelly, but uh, uh, you know, you look at what he did at, at Mississippi state and he, he built that program from the ground up. Uh, and you're absolutely right. That ceiling is, is much lower at a place like Mississippi state than it is at Florida. Florida is attractive. Uh, it, there's tradition. The fan base is crazy, but you know, passionate, and uh, you know, that's exciting to these kids. They they want to come and they want to come win champion, championships. Well, hopefully, Mullen's the guy to do it. Uh, he, he he was my pick when we were looking for a coach, and I'm glad it, I'm glad it worked out the the way it did. Uh, you, you mentioned Chip Kelly, and uh, I had to talk myself into that one when it was first brought up. Uh, he was he, he was one of my top choices, just not the top choice. And as you said, right. I'm glad I'm glad it did not work out. But 
I think uh, going back, I had a, I had Dan Mullen one A, Scott Frost one B, and then Chip Kelly. So I th- I'm glad it worked Sorry, out the way it did. Hey guys, uh, thanks for joining me here for uh, the, the first time on Gators Breakdown. Uh, Brian, I'll give this first shot to you. What you guys got coming up on the site, uh, and what you'll be working on it as uh, as summer approaches and uh, football season just a few months away. Well, I'm gonna let Michael talk about the football stuff. He's he's done a large portion of that. Um, we've got the end of the softball season coming up this weekend, the regular season. They're still fighting for a top eight seed and um, hosting the Super Regionals, assuming they can advance that far. Um, we still got a lot of baseball still to play, a uh, team that's still trying to break through and, and get into the NCAA tournament. There's no lock involved there right now. Um, and then, you know, we've got a lacrosse team that's getting ready to start their, um, their tournament run uh, through the American Athletic Conference. Um, and then Michael's got some pretty cool stuff coming up for, for our football coverage as well. Yeah, Michael, before you jump in there, so oh. we probably should have you know, said it earlier. What you get at, at your guys' site there is, you know, Gators, Gators breakdowns like 99% football. That's what it is. <laughs> but Chop Talk gives it to you all, every sport that you can think of. So if you want Gator coverage, Gator athletics coverage. Uh, that's where you guys can head and, and get all that good information there. But uh, likewise, as I said, you know, summer coming up, what, what, you, what you got working on for uh, all, all the football fans out there? Uh, you know, this is a time we got to be creative because, you know, we're either <laughs> <laughs> either waiting on uh, surprise commitments or, oh. you know, hoping that nobody gets in any trouble. But uh, this week we're going to have a, a state of the program just kind of comparing uh, what was inherited by Dan Mullen and where we were at this time last year and where we are just one year later. Uh, moving forward, we're going to have uh, position breakdowns. Um, season predictions you know some good stuff coming up all righty so that's choptalk.com where you can follow these guys and uh, get their articles uh guys there uh w- w- what is the staff there you got uh a uh, 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 a lot more staff of writers there well primarily we're using uh interns from the uf journalism school okay um then we got michael obviously doing our, our football coverage and then i'm doing a little bit of everything so <laughs> um but yeah our everybody that we've had uh so far has done fantastic and uh we couldn't do it without everybody that's here so uh, we really appreciate the effort of everybody that Absolutely. has stepped up for us all right choptalk.com out there gators breakdown listeners you can uh, check those guys out uh, there. Um, I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can follow me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.